Guys, I'm about to order a kilogram of Mongolian potatoes. What? To my address in Brooklyn. What? What? Let me see. Hold on. She is. Oh, my God. Annie Rose. I don't know how much this is. And like, I don't, I genuinely don't know the conversion rate. You, you are paying 6,000 symbol. It's, um. It's a two grick. Do you think it's going to let me do it? I mean, what, what do you think the shipping, shipping is going to be like? <laughs> From Gimlet Media, this is Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Rachel Ward. And I'm not going to say this is a punishment, but I mean, it's not a story that's going to show you in the best light. <laughs> Do you want to tell about the Thai food, Christine? Oh, uh, first of all, who are you? My name is Christine Driscoll, and I'm the associate producer here on Surprisingly Awesome. And what happened with the Thai food? Well, it was really late one night at Gimlet Media HQ, and I heroically offered to order Thai food for everyone who was working late in the office. It was, which, which was a lot of people. It was probably my third week here. And I, like, took all these people's orders who I hadn't met. Um, I was like, oh, what a great way for them to meet me. And then, like, 45 minutes goes by, and I get a phone call from the delivery person, and he's like, I'm outside. And I go outside, and I realize he's not outside. He went to a different Third Street. He went to South Third Street all the way across the other end of Brooklyn, I had to go and tell everyone, like, hey, remember when I said that there was food coming, the Thai food that you picked out late at night? It's not coming at all. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. I'm going to order a pizza. We all had to eat your humble pie, which was a pizza pie. And that's the problem we have here at Gimlet. You add or forget one south in the address and your delivery guy winds up 40 minutes away. But To a lot of people in the world, this is, like, the least of their problems. (laughs) The majority of people in the world don't have middle-of-the-night Thai food because the majority of people in the world, four billion people, don't have addresses, or at least not what we would consider an address in the U.S. In the postal biz, these people are referred to as the unaddressed. (laughs) That sounds like a Bruce Willis movie, and the trailer would be like, In a world without postal addresses, how do you deliver the mail? How do you have a post office? But that really is the question, and that brought us to this woman. There's no street name on my street at the beginning or at the end. This is Mona Harp. She works at the American University of Beirut, and she's a professor of urban studies and politics. We reached out to her to ask about how addresses work in Lebanon, because, spoiler alert, they're pretty informal. Yeah, yeah. We we often joke about it. Like when you have to give an address to someone, you, it will take like 10 minutes of explanation about all the landmarks along the way. Uh, I mean, they range from name of shops to a big tree on a corner or a garbage dump somewhere or a, the image of some political leader on a corner. And another way, Lebanon is different from the U.S. There's very little home delivery of mail. I have a young daughter. She's seven years old. And last year she was reading about the postman. In school, and I had difficulty explaining to her who that person is. <laughs> like, it's so abstract that she can she cannot even understand there is somebody distributing mail. I can't even show it to her. No addresses, no mail carriers. How did Lebanon get here? Thank you for calling Liban Post. 
For English, press 2. Hello? Hi, Shadi. Hi, Rachel. This is Shadi Magames. He's the finance and administration director for Liban Post. It's the private company that has an exclusive contract with the government of Lebanon to run the national mail system. In the world of postal services, Liban Post is pretty new. It was formed in the 1990s after Lebanon's civil war ended. After 15 years of civil war in the country, and that had uh, impacted directly the infrastructure of the country and the, its economy, the Lebanese government decided to uh, privatize uh, the postal uh, sector in, in Lebanon. And this is why Liban Post was created. During the war, Lebanon's infrastructure for mail delivery was destroyed. That infrastructure was namely letter carriers. Because when you live in a world without addresses, the maps that those letter carriers are carrying around in their heads, they are the post office's infrastructure. So after the war, the folks that letter carriers had been delivering to, they were gone. In the best case scenario, those people were displaced by fighting. So the mental maps were no longer valid. And the state was starting from scratch, too. So no post office, no addresses. So it's the late 90s, early 2000s, and Liban Post is this postal service contractor for Lebanon. They're going to replace the pre-war government-run postal service with a modern, efficient system to help people get addresses so they could get mail. And this, this plan to create new infrastructure in the face of war, this actually parallels an experience that we had here in the U.S. during World War II when a lot of letter carriers went off to war. The core of post officers was depleted, but people still needed to send and receive mail. So the Postal Service had to figure out how to move mail more efficiently. And that's when the idea of zip codes first surfaced. ZIP stands for Zone Improvement Plan. But when the Postal Service marketed it, they leaned heavy on the idea of making the mail faster. I think they worked backwards from ZIP ZIP. And zip codes did make the mail faster. The zip code let the post office send mail directly to where it was going instead of leapfrogging across the United States through a bunch of different mail processing centers. They did that by having each digit in the code mean something. So here's the anatomy of a zip code. The first digit means your region. If you live on the East Coast, you've got a lower digit. So I live in Brooklyn, New York. My first digit is a one. If you live in San Francisco, your first digit is a nine. The next two positions in the code, the next two numbers, are the code of a mail facility within your region. So the second position for both my home address in Brooklyn and Gimlet's address in Brooklyn is 1-2. My work and home mail go through the same facility. The last two digits are even more local, so my last two digits at home are different than my last two at work, even though they're both in Brooklyn. And so Lebanon needed the same kind of systematized infrastructural overhaul that the U.S. went through, but on an even wider scale. When Liban Post was formed, what was the problem that you were trying to solve? Our main problem or main challenge, let's say, was to manage the lack of addresses in this country. Because almost everyone has been using the informal addresses that Mona described by the big tree on the corner. They needed help, a partner. Someone who could work with a country that had been through a lot. A country that had been through, like, years of incursions, meddling from other nations, colonization, religious tension, influxes of refugees. They needed someone who could help create some order. So here's a quick exercise. Let's do this math together. Think of a modern country where they also speak a little French, which is the colonial language of Lebanon. A place where the government is known for providing a lot of services, where everything just works where everyone is nice. Is it Canada? It's Canada. 
Canada would help Lebanon fix its post office. You know, uh, when there was no postal sector in the country 15 years ago, so the Canadians were the the most experts uh, in this field. This wasn't the first time Canada had stepped up to the postal service plate. (laughs) Canada's postal service was considered one of the most modern systems in the world because they were early adopters of a bunch of digital postal technologies, like online package tracking and electronic postmarks. And so Lebanon's request was not unusual. It was actually pretty common for a country to come to Canada and ask them to come in and help create or modernize a postal service. Canada Post at this point had already provided assistance to the postal services of Thailand, Serbia, Belgium. And in 1998, the Canadian Postal Service went to Lebanon. The promise was that everything would be better, more efficient. Mail would get sorted by machines. New delivery trucks would hit the road. They would retrain postal workers to replace the letter carriers who had the maps in their heads. They would build more places where you could mail things. And they would tackle the biggest problem, help people get addresses. It was supposed to be a win-win. Better post office for Lebanon and a nice bit of cash for Canada. Over the life of a 12-year contract, the profits were expected to be more than a billion dollars. The Canadians, they committed to invest in the infrastructure of the post and to have the same standards, process, and procedures to put in place all the processes needed in order to start the operation. So this was what was committed between the two entities, the government and the Canadian at the time. And did Canada um, do all of those things? Uh, I do prefer not to, not to answer this question. I see. Shadi is being really polite. What he's not saying is basically the deal did not work. Despite Canada's big modern postal system and their experience elsewhere, they just couldn't crack Lebanon. There were two big problems at play here. The first was the way that the Canada Post deal worked. It wasn't just an agreement between Canada Post and Liban Post. It involved contractors, contractors who were hoping to make a lot of money on the deal. One of the contractors was a Canadian engineering firm, SNC Lavalin. And while the taxpayers didn't know it at the time, an investigation by the Canadian newspaper, The National Post, later revealed that the whole deal to help Lebanon's post office was structured so that the profits went to SNC Lavalin first, which created incentives that weren't in the public's interest. And there were allegations of graft and corruption on both sides, Lebanese and Canadian. We reached out to Canada Post and SNC Lavalin for comment multiple times, but nobody wanted to rehash this. But the second problem was that creating a modern postal service is really, really hard, especially in a place that's managed without one for so long. Mona Harb, the professor we talked to earlier, her daughter doesn't know what a letter carrier looks like because in Lebanon, most of the stuff that we do by mail, they do in other ways, like utility bills. A bill collector comes to your house, you pay on your doorstep, not through the mail. In fact, according to Mona, just about everything in Lebanon has a workaround, formal or informal that makes up for the lack of a modern postal system. So they resort to other to other ways of getting things done. And it's, uh, in Arabic, we call it uh, the al-shatara, uh, the, uh, the um, astuteness of the Lebanese who are managed to get things done against all odds and all constraints you can imagine. And uh, including informal or illegal ways sometimes, but you have to get things done. For example... We have like 7 million Lebanese in the diaspora, so every person you know knows somebody living abroad. So it's very common for people when they're traveling and they're telling you they're going somewhere to ask you, do you need anything? Do you need books? Do you need need clothes for your kids? Uh, I'm a senior art director. Karen, I work in advertising. How does a letter get somewhere? Sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) 
like when I got my acceptance from Miami Ad School, I got I got the letter like six months later. I was already there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how did you know you got in? From the from an email. Oh, you know? of Thank course. God, yeah. Um, why did it take so long? Because I'm Lebanese. My name is Timothy Simmons, and I am a former freelance journalist based in Beirut. There's like a huge network of journalists um, secretly carrying things like I need a new camera lens or I need a new satellite phone to Beirut for the press corps there because anything going through the traditional channels has a chance of getting taken. When we had just opened the bureau there, Liban Post called and they said, we have a very large package for you that we need to deliver in person. Where do you live? And um, we had to quickly, you know, ask, okay, has anybody else got this call? And the conclusion was this is probably, you know, Syrian uh, government-aligned people trying to figure out where at least this particular press outfit was located because the Bonpost never calls with a large package, ever. They would not, they would not know who to call. They would not deliver it. it you know, it's just not how it works. So we knew it was, it was off. So nearly 20 years after Canada Post and Levon Post signed this deal, this is the state of affairs. If Levon Post calls you, your first thought might be, this is suspiciously good service. And by 2001, the deal had fallen apart. The private partner, SNC-Lavalin, pulled out. Canada Post was left holding the bag. The promised improvements didn't really come through. Canada Post's contract just quietly ended in 2004, and when it did, Lebanon didn't renew it. Today, people are still struggling with trusting the Postal Service. But people are still using their wartime workarounds. That astuteness of the Lebanese people, al-Shatara, is alive and well. And fixing the postal system is just not really a priority. And even though the Canadians bounced, Liban Post is still a company. They're still responsible for supporting a postal system, even if it's a system that not a lot of people actually want to use. So what is there left to do when you're a postal service in a nation without addresses? If you're a company like Liban Post is... Shadi Magamas told us, you pivot. Our main goal was uh, to shift the company from a traditional postal operator and uh, to have a diversified product and services. Our uh, main target now is to become the daily life facilitator of, of, of the citizens. And this is what we are doing currently. Daily life facilitator? Yeah, the daily life facilitator of the citizens, yes. And citizens actually are interested in having their daily lives facilitated. Here's Karen, the woman who got her college acceptance letter after she'd already been there for six months. It's really horrible dealing with, with government stuff. Like you have to know someone or you have to wait forever. So, so Liban Post, for example, if your passport uh, expired, you uh, call them, they come to you and they take your passport and they take what they need. For example, you need two photos, you know, uh, 50 pounds whatever they need, and plus their service, and they go and they renew it for you and they bring it back. And that's what Levon Post is now. It's a broker for dealing with bureaucracy. Don't want to stand in line at some government office? Don't want to pay a bribe so you don't have to stand in line? Pay the post office to deal with that bureaucracy for you. So they're easing bureaucratic distress, but Levon Post is still trying to crack that big problem, the lack of universal addressing. Shadi told us they've got ambitious plans. Currently, we are shifting to a new concept to start translating the GPS coordinates into a unique eight-digit code. That eight-digit code is called a NAC, N-A-C. The NAC is, is my baby, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's the, the remedy uh, to, to our uh, problems. 
NAC stands for Natural Area Code, and it's based on latitude and longitude. And it's a way of giving the entire world addresses because everywhere has latitude and longitude. Like, for example, we looked up Buckingham Palace on one of these uh, NAC sites. Its lat long is, and I think this is how you say it, 51 degrees, 30 minutes, 2.72 seconds north latitude, 0 degrees, 8 minutes, 36.024 seconds west longitude. Super easy to remember. Totally not. But this site, nactag.info, they use an algorithm to give us a fighting chance of memorizing that location by converting the lat long into a shorter string of numbers and letters. So Buckingham Palace on this particular nactag system is GZM7RKH3. Also super easy to remember. I know. But it is a little better. It is a little better. So this is how Lebanon is going to solve the problem of no addresses and no trust in the postal system. They're going to start assigning everyone addresses. At first, it's going to be internal only. You won't know that you've moved from the unaddressed to the addressed column. But Liban Post says it's assigning everyone a knack tag. Eventually, those addresses might show up on houses. They might even be integrated with emergency services. So someday you might be able to just write something like GZM7RKH3 on a postcard and send it to the queen. So Lebanon got to this point after a lot of hassle. But what happens if you skip all the middlemen, Canada Post, SNC Lavalin, networks of journalists, and go straight for the high-tech solution? We'll find out after the break. From Gimlet Media, this is Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Rachel Ward. And I'm Christine Driscoll. And you might have even heard about this next story in the news. Here are some headlines. We're now going to spend a few minutes talking about delivering the mail in Mongolia. Mongolia's new address system gives every location a poetic three-word name. Sending mail in Mongolia, dissident, sloth, ploy, could be the address. Mongolia adopts address system that uses three-word names. Snail mail problems? A three-word solution is coming. This spring, the Mongolian Postal Service, called Mongol Post, decided to overhaul its system. But unlike Liban Post, Mongol Post didn't ask another country to come in and do the work. Instead, Mongol Post went straight for a technical solution. They licensed technology from a British company called What Three Words. And the technology is similar to those knack tags that Lebanon eventually decided to use. What Three Words uses latitude and longitude to create a unique code for every place on Earth. Except the code's are much easier to remember. So instead of a string of numbers and letters like GZM7RKH3, Mongol Post will use a three-word phrase. The hope is that three little words will solve all of the problems that stem from not having an address. Um, so what three words is a global addressing system. We have divided the world up into 57 trillion three meter by three meter or 10 foot by 10 foot squares. And we've allocated each one of those squares a three-word address. So three dictionary words to describe any spot on the planet. This is Giles Reese-Jones. He's the chief marketing officer of What Three Words. Giles explained that literally every place in the entire world, from Antarctica to Beijing, has its own three-word code in their system. So, for example, Buckingham Palace, its three words are fence, gross, bats. So I'm going to do this right now. Okay, so I'm going to go to... So it's whatthreewords.com, and then there's a button here, Explore Map clicking that, and I'm going to put in the name of my college radio station, W-R-U-W, and it brings it up. 
and you can zoom way in on this map. So I'm going to place the pin at the door. There's a little door and you had to ring a bell to get in. The address of my college radio station is Making Straw Allows. Making Straw Allows. Yeah. Spent uh, a lot of time. At, <laughs> a lot of time at making straw allows in college. The place I spent a lot of time in college was a couch in the art history library called uh, Yoga Plank Poker. Okay, here's another place that I used to hang out. Um, the English and French departments were there, and uh, it is toys doing fantastic. What? <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Do you know how to say that in French? Jouer faire fantastique. Okay, but there isn't any trouble getting La Poste to the French department. It's always in the same place. Mongol Post is interested in what three words because they want to reach a nomadic population. They have a population of three million people, which is dispersed um, across a country the size of uh, the size of Western Europe. And a third of the population are nomadic, so they move on a fairly regular basis. And they have... You know, mobile phones and they uh, order things online um, and uh, they um, you know, they still need to get kind of medical records and, and government documents but uh, the Mongol post struggles because um, because addressing is uh, is not is not particularly robust so with what three words no address no problem you can even kind of customize your address is there a dispute system if you uh, if you discover that your your home your what three words are something that you can't stand? Uh, the dispute system tends to be you take a step to the left and into another box. And uh, most people's homes are are large enough to accommodate 15 or 20 or so. And so what you do find is people will move around until they find something that, uh, that they like or feel that all feels representative of them. It's a little bit like a horoscope. People pour meaning into these words. And so as long as you have a home or property that's bigger than three meters by three meters... You can scoot the pen around your property until you find three words you like. Like, if the queen doesn't like fence, gross, bats, she could go with those added animal. Or daisy rich rarely. Or shirt rewarding vague. <laughs> Mongol Post is in the process of rolling out what three words now. People may be able to use the words on letters or packages as early as October. And some entrepreneurs in Mongolia have already adopted it. Can you tell me how to say your name? Talmen. T-E-L-M-E-N. Telman Geralt is one of the owners of an e-commerce site in Mongolia called M Market. M Market uses what three words to ship, and full disclosure, Telman is helping with the rollout of what three words for Mongol Post. We are one of the one of the biggest online shops in Mongolia mm-hmm. at the moment. Of course, there are a few uh, online uh, shopping companies in Mongolia. M Market is like Mongolian Amazon. It's got a little of everything, like phone chargers, fitness trackers. Exercise machines, baby bottles, this thing called a beauty bar. I'm obsessed with the beauty bar. I had no idea what it was because we were looking at this website in Mongolian. And when I first saw it, it looked kind of like an adult product. So I switched on the translate on the website and I discovered that it is a anti-wrinkle. It's easy to offer a more effective skin tightening V-shaped face. Apparently you run it across your face and it does something for beauty. (laughs) Just like most beauty products. You go to to address uh, section of the ad market when you order a product, and there is a map uh, uh, below that. So people now using what they were uh, on the map, the dig in the map, and uh, point in their address, 
Talman says right now, having what three words on his website is mostly about educating consumers. And maybe they'll get the app on their phone that helps them map the real world out into phrases. A system that lets you send a beauty bar to anyone anywhere in Mongolia with just three simple words. It sounds like a dream address solution. You would think Lebanon would be jealous, except... You're starting with a serious lack of infrastructure um, for a conventional addressing and postal delivery system to work. So, you know, I'm reading these stories and I'm like, okay, this is great and like appy and techy and fun, but like, how is this going to work? Like, none of this makes sense to me. I'm uh, Michelle Borak and I'm an American who lives in uh, Darhan, Mongolia. Michelle works for an English-language website called UB Post. UB is what everyone calls the capital Ulaanbaatar. And she wrote a piece about what three words from the perspective of someone living in Mongolia, someone who doesn't have a business stake in what three words. Michelle is a big fan of postal services. Both the U.S. and Mongolian postal services helped her with her love life. I came here as a tourist in 2010, and I fell in love with Mongolia. I thought it was this weird, crazy, great place. And you know what happens after you fall in love with a weird, crazy, great place? You fall in love with a person in that weird, crazy, great place. He spoke no English. I spoke no Mongolian. I went back to Los Angeles and um, we Skyped for about 10 months with the help of a, a translator. And then I said, this is a ridiculous long distance relationship scenario. So I need to just go ahead and move there. So that's what I did. Michelle packed up everything she owned. What she could fit in nine suitcases was coming with her. Everything else she sold on eBay. So I was every day at the post office. So one of the first things I did when I when I moved to Darhan was I told my husband I, I need to send some mail. So he's like, yeah, we have a post office. I was like, great. It happened to be pretty much just across the street. And so we walked in, and it's this uh, old Soviet-style building. Um, we signed up. For a post office box, they said, okay, you, here's your mailing address. Every time you send mail, you know, for your return address, you need to include your phone number. So, yeah, the thing is, the post office doesn't have mail carriers. So, when you get a package, the postal worker calls you on the phone and says, come here, come get your package. This is the infrastructure problem that Michelle was talking about earlier, the one that she thinks is a huge barrier for what three words. And for what it's worth, when we asked Giles at what three words about this, he seemed confident that the infrastructure was there. Michelle was not confident, but to her, it's actually not that big of a deal getting stuff through the mail because ultimately the system as she uses it is just fine. Just like folks in Lebanon, everyone in Mongolia has a workaround. There's this whole other system of delivery that exists here. These rogue taxis, kind of like a gypsy cab, where it's just people who use their private cars and and they take fares. And there's also cross-country buses. So if you want to get something from Ulaanbaatar, say um, a car part or a tractor part, you call your cousin and say, my tractor's broken. Your cousin in UB goes and finds the piece Then, once they've got it, they go to the bus station and they find the bus that's going to Darhan. And they hand the tractor part to the bus driver. The bus driver takes, you know, about a buck fifty or two dollars and shoves the the tractor part under his bus with all the passengers' luggage. And then when he gets to Darhan, he calls the number that you've written on the package. That's our FedEx. 
I use it all the time. It's so easy. Michelle's got a really interesting perspective into Mongolian life. She grew up in the United States, and she's married to a Mongolian. So sometimes she does things the Mongolian way. She throws it under a bus. And sometimes she does things the U.S. way. She uses a third-party shipper to get things sent to her from the United States. Michelle knows that that's a really special position to be in. Some people in Mongolia are a lot better off than others, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union, the nation that heavily influenced Mongolia's economy. What we have now is a free market with a touch of oligarchy. (laughs) Just a dash. Mm -hmm. Smidgen. (laughs) If you grease the right palm, the right things can go to the right places. Yeah, exactly. It's how everything here works. Every little thing. And, you know, as, as a foreigner, I, 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 you know, I sort of giggle in glee that I have access to that because I've got this Mongolian husband who knows the system. But then, you know, there's this other part of me that says, this is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. Oh, it, it's, I struggle with it. So this, this sense of unfairness, This is what fires her up about what three words. There are bigger problems in Mongolia than getting a letter delivered to your front door. Each urban establishment is is ringed by um, what are called gare districts. Gare, by the way, is what Mongolians call a tent. We call Mongolian-style tents yurts, but in Mongolia, they're actually called gares. So gare districts are... These unofficial settlements where people have migrated from rural areas to city centers. And they're doing so because um, they need access to state resources. We've had a couple really harsh winters since uh, 2010 um, that have wiped out entire you know, herds of livestock and, and destroyed families. Um, so these families take what they have left and they move to, to the Gare districts. They don't have access to the central heating system. They don't have access to clean water. They don't have ele- access to electricity. They're not worried about the post office. Like, yeah, and they're worried about, you know, no, pe- the state knowing where they are so that they can get state welfare, so that their children can get access to schools. To Michelle, this big idea to map everything, to give everyone an address, it's just solving the wrong problem. And not only that, she's not even convinced that what three words is actually rolling out in Mongolia. As somebody who, like, is pretty pretty engaged with what's going on with domestic news, you're just not seeing any evidence that government mail is, is going to be rolling the system out. Absolutely not. We asked what three words about this, and they said they're primarily focused on rolling their technology out to institutions, not individuals. To them, it's the client's job to communicate with customers. We also talked with Mongol Post's head of postal operations, who said the company is working on rollout now. It's just not there yet. So could there ever be a situation where, like, maybe a year from now, you meet with somebody or you contact somebody on Facebook And you arrange to meet somewhere to like, I don't know, exchange like a stroller, I guess. And you set a location using what three words instead of saying like, meet me at this park? Yeah, me? No. I'm I'm a Luddite. I like my life to be pretty straightforward. Um, Yeah, I don't need it. It's, It's not something I need. Michelle, in this way, thinks the same way a lot of Lebanese folks do. 
People find workarounds that don't require them to adopt something new, especially if that new thing doesn't work for their lives. They're choosing something else over efficiency. Where are we? Um, this is the Dog Hammerskold Postal Convenience Center in New York, New York. Uh, zip code 10017. Do you know what our NAC geocode is right now? I have no idea what our NAC tag is or our, what our three words are. We can find out. I'll look up, my, I'll look up our what three words. Yeah. Is it Postal Convenience Center? I would die. Slang Easy Random. Why are we here? I wanted to come here because this is a post office that really demonstrates the magnitude of the task of giving everyone an address and getting mail there. This is a really special post office or postal convenience center. It's right by the United Nations, so as you're walking up, everyone around you is speaking something other than English. It feels really international, but at the same time, very New York. Oh my gosh, look how Manhattan that is. The, the steam, the steam rising out of the ground. The other thing that's special about this place is that the novelist Kurt Vonnegut writes about it in his last book, in an essay titled, I have been called a Luddite, just like Michelle. In the essay, he writes about his ritual of mailing his work to a typist. When he had written enough pages, he would step out of his apartment and go down to the corner store to buy an envelope right in this neighborhood. He'd wait in line with people from all over the world, maybe people from Mongolia, maybe people from Lebanon. And then once he had his envelope, he'd walk over to the Postal Convenience Center. And then he'd wait in line again with more people from all over the world He'd ask them about their accents. They'd talk about their days. Kurt Vonnegut could have easily had somebody do this for him. But there were two reasons he didn't. The first one is pretty cute. Basically, it boils down to him having had a crush on one of the women who works at the counter. He wrote, All I have ever seen of her is from the waist up, because she's always behind the counter. But every day she will do something with herself above her waist to cheer us up. Sometimes her hair will be all frizzy. Sometimes she'll have it ironed flat. One day she was wearing black lipstick. This is all so exciting and so generous of her, just to cheer us all up, people from all over the world. The other reason is bigger, and it sheds a little light on why Michelle likes being a Luddite and why the Lebanese solve their own problems. It's satisfying to do it by hand, to do it yourself, to know that it's gonna get done. It's the human thing to do. Then I go outside and there is a mailbox, and I feed the pages to the giant blue bullfrog, and it says, ribbit. And I go home, and I have had one hell of a good time. You can put a layer of addresses on the world, but you can't make the world conform to a layer of addresses. There are always going to be messy things. Things will always go wrong. But humans always fix them. We don't always do it in a big way, but it always gets fixed. This essay makes me think Vonnegut wouldn't have minded Alshatara that much. He definitely would not have bothered memorizing his three words. Because the way it ends makes it really clear. He took too much pleasure in being human. Electronic communities build nothing. You wind up with nothing. We are dancing animals. How beautiful it is to get up and go out and do something. We are here on Earth to fart around. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Okay, it looks like I've 
gotten a piece of old-fashioned mail from Gimlet Media is surprisingly awesome. It's it's addressed simply to Goldstein. Uh, all right, well, uh, I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and I'm the host of the new Gimlet podcast, Heavyweight, and it's going to be launching on September 27th. I'm going to open this up. Dear Jonathan, thanks for agreeing to do this. Of course. What are you doing? You're reading our credits. That is true. They are as follows. Surprisingly Awesome's theme music is by Nicholas Brittell, and their ad music is by Build Buildings. They were edited this week by Annie Rose Strasser. Peter Clowney weighed in too. The show was produced by Elizabeth Kulas, Christine Driscoll, and Rachel Ward. It was mixed by Andrew Dunn. Special thanks to Maeve Higgins, who brought us that Vonnegut essay. You may remember a while back that Surprisingly Awesome asked people to invite them to their weddings. Well, this Friday they're unveiling the lucky couple. Subscribe to their newsletter to meet the newlyweds. It's gimletmedia.com newsletter. They send it every other week, and it's full of fun facts that they couldn't fit into episodes. gimletmedia.com newsletter. But right now... Stick around, because after the notes from our sponsors, there's a peek at my new show, Heavyweight. Oh, that's really nice. With warmest regards, surprisingly awesome, a production of Gimlet Media. P.S. No, there's no P.S. Nothing on the backside either. Huh. Uh, right, because I am adding the P.S. live in studio right now. So, P.S., we had production assistance from... Shani Aviram, Jacob Cruz, Emily Kennedy, Ricky Nevetsky, and Sarah Stodder. Additional music for this episode came from Our Many Stars, Henri Osborne, and 123. Finally, this week we are sad to see our producer Elizabeth Kulasko. She's got a cool new job with our friends at NPR's Planet Money, and they are very, very, very lucky to have her. Elizabeth found this episode's story on a visit to Beirut. After getting lost in cabs a dozen times because there were no addresses, she thought to herself, hmm, maybe there's a story here. And that's this story here. Elizabeth, thank you for everything and best of luck. Everything you do to someone does eventually come back to you. Everything you do, all actions have reactions. There are some questions that I've never been able to really answer. And the only way to really answer them is to go back, which Jonathan persuaded me to do. Oh, hi, it's Jonathan. I didn't get that, but uh, okay. Let's say there was a show about someone who helped people go back into the past to fix their problems. Do you think you would be interested in such a show? If we think about the past, we can really move forward. I believe everybody have a second chance. You know, we everybody fighting demons. From Gimlet Media, I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and I have a new show called Heavyweight. Does that seem okay? Join me as I mince. But it, but it isn't. Your questions don't make sense. Weedle. But you have that information? I probably do. Mealy mouth. Take this off, will you? It's annoying. No, here, just put it in the. Uh, in Cajole. Go say hi. 
No. No, come on. No, let him go. And backpedal my way into the past like a therapist with a time machine. See if you guys missed each other? You know, he asked the weirdest questions. No, I mean, I don't know. It's, you know. It's over for you, you old sausage. It looks like that. But you never know. Maybe you've laid awake imagining how it could have been, how it might yet be. But the moment to act was never right. Well, the moment is right now. You're still in love. Yeah. And you want her to come back. You have to write something that's beautiful to her. Tell me. I, I want to be vulnerable with you, but I think in some ways... Sorry, I just dropped the recorder. Help me to help you. To help me by listening to my new show, Heavyweight. The wait ends September 27th. Take out your phone right now and subscribe through iTunes or listen to the show before it's released by becoming a Gimlet member. Go to gimletmedia.com to find out how. I feel different, Johnny. I just feel so different. <laughs>